Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Today I'm joined by Maxim, who's the Engineering Director on the platform side of the business, who are a commerce media platform. And their job is really to help connect thousands of marketers and media owners to really go and deliver rich consumer experiences. And we've got a number of topics that we're going to break down today that are really interesting around processing large volumes of data, the reason why Critio are using on-premise over cloud, some of the trade-offs between that, and actually exploring platform engineering in those specific environments. And of course, uh, we'll be talking about many other things in between. Maxim, thanks for coming to join us. How are you? Thanks, Elliot. Hi. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm good. So yeah, this is Maxim from Criteo. I'm really glad to be uh, invited in this podcast and uh, I hope we could discuss a uh, uh, lot of interesting topic around platform engineering and infrastructure. Let's do it. And 13 and a half years at Criteo, three years before the IPO. It's a long time, especially in today's climate, to be with a business. So I commend you for that. But Tell us, in as short as possible, um, those last 13 and a half years about your roles and who you are. Yes, definitely. So yeah, I joined, I joined Criteo as a, as a software engineer at the time in 2010. Uh, back in the time, Criteo was still a, was a startup uh, growing pretty fast, based in Paris, in France. And... Uh, yeah, we were starting to, we were mostly focusing on uh, retargeting. So um, retargeting advertising business on the on the open internet. And we were starting to have loads and loads of data. So most of the, I would say the first uh, five years of, of uh, working at Criteo were quite a ride, lots of growth and lots of growth in terms of uh, scaling and scaling and scaling. <laughs> Uh, we grew internationally. Uh, we went public indeed in 2013, and the the, the company evolved. The company grew is more more than uh, 3,000 employees now. Uh, back when I joined, I think it was about 100. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and um, my job evolved too, so I worked a lot uh, on data uh, as a software engineer, as more of a DevOps on infrastructure, managing servers, uh, starting to use like distributed system, like systems like Hadoop, uh, automating infrastructure uh, more and more, and then uh, now managing uh, all the services uh, for developers and for data scientists uh, and yeah, for uh, all of Criteo uh, on top of uh, our infrastructure. Um, yeah, Criteo is uh, <laughs> the huge, uh, huge, com huge company now, well, huge, not, not big like big tech, but uh, 3,000 people, more than 800 uh, engineers in R&D. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that's and a pretty... Uh, that's a pretty phenomenal, unique experience, by the way. Employee number 100, uh, to see a business grow to 3,000 people. That is a fantastic learning, by the way. 
to, to go and be involved in something like that, not just from a technology standpoint, but from a business, innovation, entrepreneurship environment. That's pretty incredible. Yes, definitely. And uh, yeah, the company changed a lot. The teams changed a lot. The dynamics changed a lot over time. There were different phases. As I said, yeah, there's the international growth. There's the phase where we are going more through like some acquisitions, like challenging our historical retargeting business, which is now not uh, growing uh, or growing less. And we have other, a lot of other businesses, the whole push on uh, retail media in the advertising industry, but Quito was one of the, one of the first uh, there are starting in 2016. Uh, so yeah, that that was uh, really really interesting. Also, the fact that uh, the company was uh, founded in France. Now it's very international. Headquarters are still in Paris, but uh, lots of teams everywhere uh, in the in the world. It's uh, quite amazing. Okay. Uh, I've given Critio an introduction. Let's call it that. Give us an idea of what makes Critio's platform just so compelling for people and what is it that you actually do so Criteo is is a so it's a it's a company that helps uh, advertiser retailers uh, and, and publishers to to basically activate and to monetize uh, their uh, their supply the goal the Power of Criteo is to build this commerce media platform where we have like a very, very uh, in like fully uh, capable suit of products that could help you uh, both building like a, a supply side uh, platform, demand side platform on retail media, on site and off site retail media. So yeah, I'm not uh, again working directly on the business, but uh, I think what we have is uh, is quite unique. Uh, we have this very strong experience on working on the open web with lots of data and lots of performance, and we are using that to uh, now a lot of uh, part of the uh, advertising industry on the internet, making it uh, basically capable to to yeah. Uh, I think we can scale very well. Uh, that's also a big, uh, a big uh, strength uh, of Criteo with mostly using machine learning and AI techniques. So yeah, I, I can't wait. Yeah, no, I can't wait to get stuck into some of that. But quite simply, why do you think data is so important to Criteo? Well. Data is very is is important to Criteo. Uh, well, first, I think data is important to our customers uh, <laughs> um, because our customers uh, have uh, well, there's there's a lot there, but we our main business is to use data to deliver uh, some level of performance and some uh, added value on on uh, on the monetization and making sure uh, people. Uh, like users of the open internet will uh, uh, find the right products, find the uh, buy the right things. Um, so yeah, all of that needs a lot of data, uh, as you know when you when you are uh, well in this whole trend of uh, AI now, which is a 
quite uh, <laughs> quite popular at the moment. People know they need like AI models need to learn a lot of data, and that's uh, also part of why we uh, we have we have a, I think a unique advantage with the, all the all the data we can uh, we can ingest and we can process and we can uh, produce. Yeah, talk to us about some of those ingestion and processing volumes. Help us understand that part. Then I'm really keen to tie it to the machine learning and AI aspects and what's going on at the moment. So first part, ingestion and processing, volumes, challenges, break those down for us. Yes, so we are mostly, we are processing uh, large volumes of data. I would say probably around yeah, hundreds of terabytes of data per day are being ingested in our data platform at the moment, uh, which means uh, uh, we have probably around, uh, you know, something like uh, yeah, dozens of petabytes of data uh, we are storing for various purposes. Um, the the main yeah the the main source of data I mean. It's mostly coming from traffic, from web traffic and application, uh, mobile applications uh, that we are uh, collecting uh, with our partners. So yeah, I, I could uh, I could describe more technically how it works. Uh, uh, we are leveraging a lot of open source technologies there too. Uh, like most of our data goes through uh, Kafka clusters um, uh, and then end up uh, stored in uh, Hadoop. Um, yeah, and as you said in the introduction, all of that is uh, hosted on-premise, uh, not using cloud technology. Although with some recent acquisitions, we have more and more cloud footprints. Okay, interesting. We can explore that a little bit further. I want to explore the machine learning and AI aspect. You know, especially in the world of marketing, the world of advertisement it's more and more prevalent. It's actually way up there from what I see. You know, I'm a social media user, so I see it more and more. But talk to us about or tie together machine learning and AI and the large volumes of data that you're ingesting from customers. Like, talk to us about the synergy there and what's actually going on. So, yeah, the like this is part of the heart of of Criteo. We've been we've built the initial core product of Criteo is actually AI and performance. So trying to predict uh, is uh, the probability of a user uh, clicking on an ad, uh, how much. Uh, how much the user is going or is about to spend uh, on on this product or this product, and uh, yeah, to do that uh, we went through a long <laughs> history of uh, AI techniques, uh, but most of them are built. I mean, AI is with, which is why we usually call machine learning is uh, is based on the fact that you need to see pa the past to uh, replay the past to try to predict the future. So the more the more information you have on okay when a user with of uh, with this kind of um, behavior has seen this ad then there is 
a lot of probability for this user to click. So yeah, we we had a lot of naive technique back when back when I arrived at Quiteo. Then we ended up moving to more uh, advanced techniques with logistic regressions and uh, and now uh, deep learning and all of these uh, more modern AI technique. Um, I would uh, I'm not gonna speak in the on behalf of our uh, uh, AI lab uh, um, managers, but uh, but I I have the impression that our uh, our uh, machine learning engineers and researchers are quite advanced on the domain. There's a lot of, you can look online, there's a lot of uh, publications by the Quiteo AI lab. And by the platform they need to do that is indeed, has to scale, of course. Uh, they have to be able to prepare, first to prepare the data for the training of the model. So there's a lot of work on uh, processing like all the data we gather. So it's mostly, the way we gather data is mostly logs uh, that we gather from Kafka, as I said. Uh, then there's a lot of like joining the logs, preparing the log, putting it, putting it in the right format. Uh, so lots of pre-processing. And, uh, and then, yeah, then the training happens. And one thing that's also quite interesting and it's quite different from what you see with the uh, recent discussion on LLMs where you you have these big models that take months to train and then you you then the model is rarely updated uh, what we do is we we train models and we update them like all the time every time during the day models are updated multiple times a day uh, to be used in real time uh, then to display uh, banners and and bid on on the, well advertising platforms uh, I was going to say how Critio have modeled their business, AI, machine learning, and let's just say the craze over the last 12 to 18 months, you've really been doing quite a lot of that around AI for the last however many years. I don't know how long the AI labs have been around and you've been training models, et cetera, et cetera, for, but that's really been in the DNA of your business. So actually new discoveries in AI just accentuate the business even further. And you can just build on top of that. Yeah, definitely. So the, the new discoveries on AI around, especially around generative AI, uh, it's, it's super interesting for us. Uh, we have uh, we have a team and a roadmap uh, trying to leverage that for our business. Today, most of the AI we use in production is not generative AI. It's more uh, like typical, uh, both deep learning and lots of techniques, um, but nothing that is generative at the moment, although we have a lot of uh, uh, things on the roadmap. And, and yes, I think it's good that the the industry and also I think the fact that uh, what what happened is that the open AI made it made AI very visible to end users, which was not the case before. It was used a lot. Uh, we are not clearly not the only company doing AI and actually like the Google and the Meta, all of them are doing it for uh, ads indeed uh, and also for uh, a lot of use cases. But it was not as visible as uh, as you can see with like this chat GPT and other solutions. Yeah, okay, good point. That is a really good point. I do want to come back to the, the scale of some of the data that you're ingesting. 
for people listening to the platform, like we try and ensure that there's learning opportunities and some of the people listening wouldn't have had the opportunity to sit inside a business with the scale that you have. Help us understand the challenges and considerations that you and your engineers have on building a scalable, resilient data platform to handle the volumes that you're handling at the moment. So it's, uh, well, it's, it was mostly, it took years. <laughs> so it's a okay. long process. Um, I'm not going to lie and say, uh, we had a big plan and everything was defined from the beginning. Obviously not. Um, no, we ended up like building solutions because the scale needed it. Uh, we have, a, there's also a lot of focus on um on developers because my team my team is uh indeed yeah there's the scale aspect uh, but there is also the fact that we want our developers uh as i said there's hundreds of them using the platform to develop applications data specific applications but any type of applications uh, uh, that are useful for the business and to build products and we want them to mm, be as productive as possible so that they don't uh, so that we try to take the load of making sure things scale making sure uh, things are uh, well reliable and robust and secure um all of that so yeah and to do that well uh, we are not the only one to do that so platform engineering is quite uh, uh, common and indeed uh uh, we leverage a lot of open source technologies. We try to not have, a, a, well, we try not to build uh, custom things when there are uh, open source solutions or other solutions available uh, on the shelf. But yeah, there's a lot. And yeah, around data, we are uh, using a lot of things around Hadoop and Spark. We have uh, uh, our own data catalog system that is able to track uh, thousands and thousands of data sets across the company. We have our own ETL, well, extract, transform, and load system uh, based, uh, which is allowing developers to simply define pipelines with SQL queries, uh, and it uh, allows uh, the whole company to track like when a dataset is built through that system, where does it come from, what are the dependencies, and if something goes wrong and we need to fix the data from the previous day, everything will be recomputed from uh from from there so that yeah there's a lot of things like that it's uh quite uh yeah it does uh, i think oh, there. yeah I, I was just about to say that i i think from what i hear from you learning about technologies or open source technologies in particular and being able to leverage the right tool for the right job has given you the access to be able to scale in the areas that you need and for particular reasons. And I think that's quite different. Uh, that is quite a different learning to what I typically hear on here, as in when I say hear the podcast. So I think that's a really nice outlook as in leveraging open source technologies and using them in the right way to allow your business to scale is probably something that I could definitely take away from this. And and in and yes, the 
a lot of what we do comes down to okay let's look at what's available let's look at what also let's look at what other companies are doing when we were scaling very hard we were a lot of things we did were inspired by papers or talks from the bigger players in the in the industry around that have like like loads of data centers how do they do this like how do we simple like things that look simple when you have a few servers that are at very difficult at scale like how do you upgrade uh, uh your operating system on 10,000 servers uh how do you yeah how do you handle yeah compl- there's a lot of complex distributed system incidents you can you have to handle the whole way we respond to incidents and evolve the whole way we organize our teams all of that is a mix of learnings and inspiration from others uh so there's yeah. a and yeah, open source yeah. is clearly part of that no, absolutely. And I think you make a really good point. We were talking about it offline. We have worked with and spoken to Adjun on the podcast here. And they, a little bit like you, uh, were born pre-cloud. So they built all of their services on premise. And, you know, my belief is they maybe use, you know, one or two things here and there. Um, around public cloud, similar to you from what I understand. So it would be really good to understand um, what that environment and on-premise environment actually looks like for Critio, as opposed to using public cloud. You know, a lot of our subscribers will be, uh, I think, recent technologists. They probably might only know what it's like to work in a cloud environment. So giving a very different perspective, I think will be really valuable and healthy um, for them to understand just how powerful it can be and why. Yes. So yes, indeed, we were born pre-cloud, uh, especially in Europe because the um, first clouds were were built in the US. And, and um, I think what I could maybe a bit more in details but what uh, is very important well first maybe i should say that really something i would recommend that um but the way we, the way we build our systems is try to have a lot of like we want our applications we have quite a lot of standards which make us be able to have this vertical integration where we don't add all the layers that the cloud themselves are building. A lot of work, and we don't have that uh, <laughs> that uh, engineering the engineering uh, power to build. Well, we are not clearly not building uh, AWS. That's not the point. So we are not trying to build AWS. We are trying to build just what we want and this allows us to be vertically integrated for example there's a lot of layers we are VMs anywhere in our uh, data centers our data centers are bare metal Linux running containers uh, direct uh, why can we do that because we are dependent because other companies with us so that we don't have the same need of uh, isolation between uh, between tenants than than clouds would do. Uh, 
like our networking solution is quite that quite simple. Uh, it scales very well. It's built uh, over a community, and we don't do a lot of uh, like virtual networks, a lot of like complex solutions. All of that would add a lot of complexity on our stack, and we don't do that. And this is how we are able to build infrastructure at scale that does not engineering uh, of uh, of uh, AWS or, or Google Cloud. And and actually, if you look at it, bare metal is not what it used to be uh, 20 years ago. I think a lot of people also have this impression that it's very very hard. That there's a lot of uh, Quirks that you have to know on on your server that you need to manually uh, go downstairs to and things like that. So and do a lot modern uh, modern hardware. A lot of things are now more uh, standardized. There's a, it's relatively easy to uh, upgrade firmwares, uh, do a lot of things like that, and do remote management with the standard uh, open source solutions. So. It, it's not as as, uh, as it used to be, um, yeah. But uh, I would, <laughs> uh, I, yeah. No, I was going to say hardware has really stepped up to the plate. Then you know they've probably seen how they need to really raise their game to stay competitive longer term for businesses like you, others. What do you think the trade offs are? When you're building something on premise, than when you're building cloud. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of trade-off. Uh, the first thing is uh, is that you have to look at the you have to look at the type of stack you're gonna have. If it's if you're going to use like uh, like a sort of a monolithic application uh, that do, that's quite standard, where a lot of the dependencies could be open source, like a typical web application or with a SQL database and things like that. You don't you don't need complex services from the cloud. Then it could work. However, one of the other problem would be like the the cost of uh, of starting of starting this is uh, is probably prohibitive for a small player. Uh, we have the luck that we didn't have a choice, so we did it. But uh, if we were to start from scratch, we probably more difficult. The nice the nice thing is uh, is uh, in practice uh, not being on the cloud is much cheaper. Now. It depends on where you are on your business. Is your business uh, is are the infrastructure costs, the cloud cost of your business going to be a big part of your cost and a big? Uh, do you really want to optimize that or not? That's a question you need to ask yourself, I guess, um, because uh, it may not be your first priority. I don't know. It it really depends on. You have to look at your business. You have to look at the services you need. I think one of the other thing you're losing. Clearly, when you're going on-premise, is you don't have access to the tons and tons of new features and services that come up every week, um, and that could be limiting, especially if you need to like pivot and and 
go very quickly and your your engineering team is maybe too small to uh test uh, and to build things themselves so yes and and that's something that i wanted to go a little bit deeper in and understand is help me understand what platform engineering looks like in an on-prem capacity because i think my understanding has really been about uh, platform engineering in cloud environments and you refer to it new services new tools new features probably make it a lot easier to create that platform engineering environment but again that could be my lack of understanding so i really want to explore that with you and understand what platform engineering on-prem looks like so it's there are, there are differences but in the end uh the the mission is the same we need to provide uh the services to developers so they can build their applications and and a lot of things are going to be similar you're going to need to have an observability stack so yes every time you could ask yourself do i build one uh or do i use something on the shelf and just pay a service uh for example uh, are you going to use a uh yeah you could use uh, any any service for observability or you could build your own you could use one for uh, your container systems you could do one for your database systems for your streaming system for your and so we have the same we when you're on premise you have the, you could ask your same question we could we could use external solutions for some parts uh, obviously we are not going to have a database in the cloud if our web application is in the data center that doesn't really make sense um but there is the same philosophy like every time we need to build a new f a service or feature we look at what's available in clouds in saas solutions and uh, open source or non open source on prem solutions Obviously, if something is available in the cloud, there is the integration part uh, that could be uh, that could be difficult, but uh, it's not necessarily a blocker. Every time, every time we end up converging, well, not every time. Most of the time, we end up converging on using open source solutions, and a lot of open source solutions you can install them wherever in clouds or not in cloud. So, for example, for metrics, we are using Victoria Metrics, which is an open source solution, and most people are using it in cloud, but we are not, and it's uh, not that different in the end. Um, we are using Kafka, we are using, uh, uh, yeah, well, basically uh, Kubernetes and things and tooling like that. Indeed, we are not able to leverage like the higher level managed service services from cloud, like. Okay, if you go to AWS or Google Cloud or Azure, you have a Kubernetes, managed Kubernetes. We have to build our own, indeed. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's part of the trade-off. Yeah, okay. Definitely. Yeah, I can imagine. How have you organized your platform team? And, and what would you say some of the key disciplines are in those teams? So platform teams are a mix of uh, what we we have we have two different type of uh, of tracks engineering tracks within within uh, my group. There's a, the more generic software engineer and uh, SRE, um, and it's actually a mix. A lot. Some teams are uh, actually there is a, a dedicated group. A dedicated SRE group 
that we can discuss later are more focusing on supporting our, our products, um, which is mostly uh, SREs, but the, and the other teams providing services for developers are usually a mix. Some teams are a bit more SRE, some teams a bit less. And the way they're organized is we, and this is not just my team, it's actually the whole crypto R&D is uh, organized by teams and teams, quite small teams actually, between um, let's say four to eight people. And teams are very autonomous. They have a team lead who is also uh, hands-on which is why the teams are small. Uh, the, the team lead managing the team and uh, responsible for uh, the well, tech leadership and, and, and delivery. And they have a defined scope. They have defined services they support and they can work pretty much autonomously um, with the rest of the organization. And that's uh, that's very efficient, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and as I said, there's there are lots of teams. There's a team dedicated to, uh, as I said earlier, maybe observability. There's a team dedicated to uh, our data processing system. A team dedicated to uh, Kafka. A team dedicated to our build systems. A team dedicated to uh, our testing uh, and deployment uh, tooling. Okay. So you've got visibility of all of these teams. I'm really interested to know what do you think are the three characteristics that you need, let's just say in an engineer generally in today's landscape to really thrive? I think, I think, uh, especially in in the three characteristics <laughs> so it's a good question there's a, there's there's a lot that we need uh in terms of uh, first there's the need for expertise there's the need for being good at collaboration i would say i would say maybe what's uh, the most difficult to to get uh well most rare for engineers to get is the aspect of getting like there's a there's a big need for collaboration especially the way uh, at crypto we work is uh, teams are autonomous as i said there's a lot of uh there's a lot of work that's driven by engineers themselves it's not like we don't give them a roadmap that they have to implement they have to come up with uh, what are the solutions and what are the problems we are facing, and that's something that uh, it not uh, not everyone is uh, is uh, capable of, especially when you are getting to a wider scope, like not just your team, but you want to also have the bigger picture of okay, what are the other teams around me doing, and what am I doing for the company? So that's. Uh, <laughs> that's quite like if you're capable of doing that you're you're clearly going to be helping the business a lot and that's uh, and have an impact so collaboration what would your other two be uh collaboration getting the bigger picture i would say and um and maybe it goes with collaboration but i would say 
also trust is quite important uh, between uh, between uh, people, employees. Uh, I think it helps a lot. Yeah, I I see that one help massively. I I really think asking this question, uh, prompting the thought for people, communication collaboration is going to be really quite key. Listen, I want to say a big thank you for coming to join us. It's been really insightful learning about your individual journey. Um, being with a business as impressive as Critio for the last 13 and a half years, that's some fee. Going through the business change that you've been through, 100 people to 3,000 people, 800 people in engineering, that's really impressive. Um, and it's awesome to see what you guys and girls are doing. You know, I mentioned offline, I've always known um, because I've spoken to people in the space before, ex Critio, what you guys have been building. So it's quite cool to be here um, to learn a little bit more about that. So I want to say a big thank you to you, Maxime. Um, thank you for coming to join us. And thank you for inviting me again. As I said, I learned a lot by listening to what other companies do. And I think, uh, and I think it's fair game and we really should share more because that's how the industry progresses yeah you make a really good point and yeah we were talking about it as in uh, you use open source technologies you look at publications to see what other companies are doing and how they're doing it not to be cliche you know we're not open source in that regard um, but it is our job to really talk about what companies are doing how they're doing it that's why i set this up years ago that's why we continually do it and we approach different companies in different countries because everything's different everything's different and it's unique to that company so thank you and for everyone listening like shares subscribes that's all massively massively appreciated so go ahead and do that and you know a big thank you from us bye for now Hey guys, thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks, guys.